This is the Desperate Times and Resilient Faith Podcast with your host, Frank Strickland. Frank is a Christ follower, geologist, army veteran, and disciple maker who has a passion for seeing people survive and thrive in desperate times. Welcome to the Desperate Times Resilient Faith Podcast. Today we're going to continue our interview with Andrew Winston and go into another aspect of his experience in faith journey. And that has to do with his ability to see things from a black Christian standpoint in our culture, because there's a lot of stress going on right now in the racial area. And one reason I want to talk to Winston about this is because I think it's valuable to see things from other perspectives. And so um, even within the black community, his experience as a Christian, I think, will give us additional insights though that was not going to be available in in most um, contexts so yeah uh, Andrew when yes. it when it comes to what's happened in the last couple of years and in fact continuing to go on you know we saw the racial riots we saw the um, different um, trigger events that went on this last year right and that has kind of coalesced into a long-term um, I don't know what you call it, an agenda, or yeah. whether it would be a emphasis. Right. But it's affecting everything from education to politics to mm. to even businesses. And so um, I wanted to get your unique insight into this because yeah. you have been able to see all of this not only as, you know, from a black experience, but from a Christian perspective. Absolutely. Somebody who's committed to Jesus Christ. So, yep. so how would you, could you help us understand uh, what's going on from what you've seen? Yeah, absolutely. So first I'll kind of go off and give you kind of a brief, brief synopsis. I kind of did, we did in the previous kind of episode of kind of who I am, kind of the culture that I grew up in. Um, I grew up in a Christian home, obviously. Um, and my dad and my parents moved here in 1992. Uh, back in 1992, there wasn't many black people here in Salt Lake City, Utah, yeah. or Utah in general. And uh, my dad was transferred here from the military. So we kind of landed here, and everybody, all of his family were like, don't go there, don't go there. Like, <laughs> you know, it's racist there. There's so many other people. Like, no, don't don't bring your family there. And my dad was like, you know what? Like, you know, we're protected by God, first of all. So mm-hmm. we're, we're going to go, and I'm going to go. I believe that this is the place where we need to be. Wow. So they moved here in 1992. I was two years old um, from Georgia. And Georgia is mm-hmm. a whole different culture. Oh yeah, totally yeah. different. Um, even Almost on the racial another world. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, the black and white divide is crazy, crucial, just insane there. Um, so we moved here in 1992. I was three years old, and um, uh, I just grew up in this in this home. And as I began to get older, there was a lot of questions that were asked of me. You know, in elementary, my hair texture, my sister's hair texture. She had braids. These other girls didn't have braids. They hair, their hair was loose. It's different. This girl was blonde and and blue eyed and and wear you know brown skin and uh, we have brown eyes and black hair. So it's just just a totally different um, yeah. culture. So, but I remember kind of as I was growing up and all these questions were being vetted to us. Um, you know, we would sit down at a dinner, ta- dinner table. Awesome parents and my parents are just. Just godly people. And so we sit at dinner table and I'd be like, Mom, just tell her about the experience I had that day. And, you know, my friends were touching my hair or they were asking me different <laughs> questions. Like, why is your skin brown? Like all these just random things that, you know, yeah. that kids will just ask each other because Kid, they're just curious. Kids are just 
amazing. You know, yeah. they're, they're just so there. Yeah. And so yeah. I remember, um, you know, and as I got older, it was kind of like I was getting tired of it. Mm. You know, my sister was getting tired of it. And oh, yeah. we were just like, uh. but my mom and dad said, look, we're here to set a tone and we're here to change the culture. Mm. They literally said those words. So they said a vision for you. They said a vision for us. And okay. they said, if people touch your hair, like you can kindly ask them not to do that. But you know what? At the same time, why don't you let them know our culture? Because at the end of the day, how are these people supposed to learn? And then they went on and said, because my dad was all over the world, you know, in the military. So he would be in Germany mm-hmm. and all these different places. And so he would travel, 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 see different cultures. And he said, listen, son, listen, daughter, to my sister. We would sit down on dinner table and he would say, it's the same thing as if a blonde haired blue eyed girl went into the middle of Africa. Mm-hmm. We've seen it on We've some of it. our missionary trips where yeah. they just come up and they're just. They're just in awe. I mean, they've, they've never, never seen, seen a before. white person. And yeah. so it's like, he's like, so you have an opportunity. We have an opportunity, one, to share the gospel with them and to love them, but also to teach them. Mm. And he said, we will always be here to help teach and to build the culture of Salt Lake City, Utah. Wow. And even when he retired, they had opportunities to move elsewhere. They stayed right here in Utah. So how did that impact you to have a bigger picture yeah. You know, instead of just reacting to the immediate uh, violation of personal space and so on, but yeah, to see it in a bigger picture, how'd that help? Um, it helped me tremendously because uh, it gave me a different perspective, and it also gave me part of my assignment. Hmm. You know, um, and oftentimes we well, obviously we can't choose how we're born; we're just born, right? Right. As far as the the culture and who you are, your your ethnic your ethnicity, you can't choose that. You're just a baby. You're black. You're white. You're Hispanic. You're Asian. You're African. Whatever it is, like that's who you are. Mm-hmm. And so it honestly gave me a different perspective, and it allowed me to kind of go from an irritation to almost like a, a invitation to invite people to know more about my culture. It was almost an inoculation against bitterness. Yeah. You know. Yeah, absolutely. And so from that moment, it was like, my dad was like, you can, you can, you can either teach them and set the tone or you can just be irritated and bitter and they'll never ask questions and racism will still just continue to happen. Mm -hmm. And this will be a cycle that continues to just happen year after year after year after year. And he also said, you know what? We're not going to move out of Salt Lake because a lot of black people will come to Salt Lake and be like, there's no black people here. And I'm like, now I'm coming here and I'm like. There's way more here than back in 1992. <laughs> Literally, in my high school, I was yeah. one of two black people Yeah, in my high school. Wow. Olympus High School in Holiday, Utah. Wow. One of two black people. That must have been an interesting experience. It was very yeah. interesting. But you know what? I loved it. I yeah. embraced it. I, I took it as like, wow, I have opportunity to be unique, one, here. Yeah. And to set the culture yeah. of like, this shouldn't just be an all-white school. Mm-hmm. You know, eventually people will come. But the, the deal that my dad, will, like he always said to me, he's like, we're not moving here because people need to see themselves here. And mm-hmm. that's how we'll get more people here. That's how culture changes over time. Mm-hmm. That's how race racism t- tends to, to not to divide, but tends to be healed over time is mm-hmm. when we are having the conversations. If we're leaving and fleeing to every black city and all the black people are just gathered together and all the Indians are gathered together, all the Asians are gathered together, then we'll never change. We'll never get to know other cultures. That's right. It's that intermixing, you know, yeah. the, yep. Uh, prejudice breeds in isolation. Yeah. Wow. You know, because the stereotypes, uh, they're difficult to break. And the only way to break them is to get to know the other person. Right. Right. Because it's only as we see them in their full 
diversity of experiences and, and viewpoints and everything that we begin to appreciate the differences. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And absolutely. boy, you know, that the ghetto mentality really, yeah, really uh, propagates yeah. the stereotypes. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So I think for me, as far as even the recent years, 2020, with all the riots and racism, and, and this is the thing, racism has been going on for years. Now it's just more illuminated through social media. And then as well, it's part of social media is, is a lot of lies. Mm. Okay, explain that. You know, because I do believe even last year with everything that was going on, I said, well, first I sit on a different side. Yes, I am black. I am African-American. And uh, I do live in a predominantly white city and, and state. But that's not who I am in the kingdom culture. Hmm. I am first Christian. Okay. And then I identify as black. Mm. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. there's a different culture because if I'm bought with the price, I no longer identify as this or that. Mm-hmm. Yes, God has called me and, and I was born this way to be black and to do all these different things. And that's amazing. I love who I am. But at the end of the day, it's it's no. I am first kingdom. That transcends all that the other That transcends over labels. everything. Over, yeah. over race, over age, over demographics, whatever it is, it transcends over everything. And so as we entered into 2020 and even as a pastor, so being a pastor at a predominantly I mean, we're pretty multicultural. The well is pretty multicultural. We have a lots of different, lots of different people. Um, but I had the opportunity to sit with people from all walks of life, from policemen that were battling and people, you know, mm. committing hate crimes on them because they're policemen mm-hmm. and they happen to be white. Yeah, they didn't choose their skin color; they were born white. Then we have, you know, all these different these different areas. And so, as I was pastoring last year, there were so many questions coming to me. Literally, when the race riots hit, I probably had over 150 text messages hit my phone. Wow. From who? Random people. So friends that I grew up with saying, man, I apologize. I'm so sorry if I ever said anything racist to you. To people that I'm pastoring saying, hey, help me walk through this. I'm a little bit confused. To policemen that go to our congregation asking and saying, hey, I hope you know that I I love you and that I don't think anything different of you. To people that are asking me questions and wanted me to be on their podcast or wanted me to do this and wanted me to do that or wanted me to read this book. It was just all like I got hit up with so many things and it was like, oh, am I the only answer? Hmm. I felt like last year was like, am I the only answer to all these problems? <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> but then it, it, it took me back to that moment with my dad. Yep. And it was like, we now have a teachable moment. Now you really have come into your yep. full yep. Uh, vision. And then a lot of yeah. black people were saying, it's not my job to teach you. And that um, that kind of thing, like that mm. kind of r- like roused my feathers so much last year. I was like, actually, it is. Yeah. It is. It is part of our job to teach them. Yes, they can read in the history books. Yes, they can read these different things. I'm not negating that we're the only source of information that they need mm-hmm. to have. They do need to search out, search out the historic of what is happening in the culture of our nation and in our generations and all of that. But at the end of the day, we are still called to teach them. I'm like, there's no difference between you going to school and learning from a teacher. That's like me saying, oh, I'm not, I'm going to go to church, but I'm not going to sit and listen to the pastor. Mm-hmm. That's literally like you, you're, you're, you're not allowing yourself to, to, to open up yourself to learn yeah. at that moment. You know what I mean? Or to teach. And I'm like, I'm taking every opportunity I can that God gives me to teach on this because I do believe that it is part of my call. Mm-hmm. It is part of the way that when I was born this way, okay, I have a duty just as much as you have a duty to teach me your culture. 
Mm-hmm. <laughs> Everybody has a culture. Everybody's grown up in a different realm. And that's the beauty, I think, of what's happening, even though it's been tough, yeah. you know, in many ways. Um, I just love, you know, the uh, multicultural experience yeah. Yeah. And, and diversity and so on, because I think there's just so much richness mm-hmm. as you get to know all of these other perspectives. Absolutely. And and it's it's just a shame to kind of isolate and insulate against that. Yeah. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Um God God's God of all people. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. And uh and I think that's been somewhat of a problem in the past is is that some people have seen you know God is a God of the white person or, you know, this, that, or other demographic. And then we go to, you know, the lower, you know, and share the gospel with the unfortunate and so on. No, 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 no. Right. (laughs) You know, just because they haven't heard the gospel doesn't mean they're inferior. Yeah. By any means. Yeah. And so just kind of retooling that whole perspective, I think has been valuable. Yeah. Now, obviously it can go too far and go the other direction, reverse racism and everything. So, but, um, but I, I think, by and large, there's been a lot of value in what's yeah. happened. Yeah. So I've just learned, and um, as I've grown up with even just racism and and even experiencing it uh, hands on. Actually, I would say when I lived in Atlanta, uh, when I pastored there for four and a half years um, back in 2013 to 2018 or 2017, I um, I experienced more racism there than I ever did when I lived in Salt Lake City, Utah. Mm. Why is that? Or, or I guess maybe a more blatant racism. Okay. More, I guess I could more, say it's more upfront. Like yeah. you, you know that it was intentional mm. with what they did. One, I'm in an interracial relationship. So mm. my wife is white mm. and I am black. So even going to Georgia, there's more even a divide there mm. than it was in Salt Lake. I mean, from when we would go to restaurants, whether they were black waiter or white waiter, they would always ask us if we had separate checks knowing good and well that we're like there celebrating our anniversary or you know what I mean? Like just different things like that. Or we would get these looks up and down when we're holding hands going down the street, almost as if like, you know, and and opposite for is true for my wife. She would get looked from black, black girls, like almost like you took one of our good men. Mm -hmm. You know, it's kind of like this thing, like you took one of our men or even for me, like white guys. Oh, you took, but like, it was like this kind of battle in this, this thing in the spirit, mm-hmm. you know, that, and I wholeheartedly, when we started, when we launched a church with one of my best friends, there was five interracial couples that launched that church well, wow. in Columbus, Georgia. And I honestly believe that that was intentional Yeah, because people needed to see what love looked like and that not only what the love of Christ looked like, but what true love can look like. And mm-hmm. it comes in all forms, all different sizes, everything. Like, it's just this reality of this is love. You know what I mean? And God's, God's hand is over this. And so I experienced more racism there than I did here. Mm. Here was more or less like they were ignorant. Okay. I felt like it was just more like, oh, I don't know. Like, I really don't know. It's the and unknown so, it's versus the, unknown. the in- institutionalized. Yes. Yeah. Yes. In Georgia, it's, it was, it's been set. I mean, I have stories. My wife was a school teacher in Georgia. We have stories. We taught at after school programs. I mean, I would teach these kids dance, 35 kids. There was a few white kids in there, a few, or, I mean, lots of black kids. And literally, there was a, a divide there. Hmm. Um, my wife said she experienced on the bus um, with one of these kids. These are like literally third graders on the bus. They're they're talking, white and black black kid, third grade. And um, this kid says to this white kid says to this black kid, 
says my dad is the um, founder of the KKK. Hmm. And he said, my dad will shoot your daddy. Oh. Third grade. And so in that moment, it was a realization to me that racism is taught. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's taught. Oh, yeah. It's, there's no way. The kids aren't meant, they're not born with this innate ability to hate. Mm-hmm. We're, we're not. God didn't make us that way. Mm-mm. And so my wife came back. In fact, you see, a, a, you know, kids out on the playground, they're just, they don't care. They don't know, care. Just, they play with anybody. They're just you totally, I mean? yeah. Just, just in love, like, just like happy. Whatever makes them happy, they're happy. And so my wife and I, my wife came back that one moment. She told me that that story. And um, we were just dealing with a lot, just like battling it even when I'm teaching kids dances. They're getting in fights for no reason. They're getting in fights because one kid has nicer shoes than the other. They're getting in fight because one kid's hair is not done as well as the other. Mm-hmm. Just so many things that I'm just like, wow, this is in Georgia. Never experienced that here. But in Georgia, I experienced that all the time. Literally third, fourth, fifth grade as I taught. They're fighting. Like every single second, it's fine. Like I, I felt like I had to like keep them apart. My wife came home from that one moment on the bus, and she was like, "Man, like this is this is ingrained. Mm-hmm. This will take in order for us. It's not a one stop shop." And I think last year kind of left everybody felt like, "Oh, we can finally wake up to racism." I'm like, racism is going to take years to unfold until Jesus tarries. Honestly, you know, it, I believe it's really only cured in Christ. Yeah, absolutely. You know, absolutely. It, like a lot of things. You yep. know, it. You know, you you can manage, you can cover up, you can deny. Yeah, but solutions only yep. come in Christ. Yep. Yeah, and that's what we found too. We're like, okay, like this is third grade back then, so this person is probably this kid is now probably in late high school, and I'm just praying and hoping that man God. God gets a hold of his heart and God gets a hold of their family, mm-hmm. you know, um, and to grow up in a house that their dad is literally one of the founders of the KKK mm-hmm. in Georgia. You know, mm-hmm. I lived 30 minutes away from KKK members, mm-hmm. you know, so like even in Georgia, you know, and there's another experience that we had the uh, high school that was literally this is back in 2000. We got married in 2013. This is back in 2014. Recent. It's pretty recent. You would think that this stuff wouldn't happen. 30 minutes away from where we lived, um, it was in the news. Um, this small town, uh, they had in 2015, they had their first non-segregated prom. Mm. In 2013. Wow. And, um, and what was sad about it was they had to raise their own money to have their non-segregated prom. Mm. And how it happened was there was a black girl and a white guy that wanted to go to prom together, but they were forced to either not go together or they were forced to make up their own thing. So the students raised their own money. Mm. They put together this own prom in 2013. Mm-hmm. And so that was another thing that was just telling me, wow, God, like this is, this is going to take years. Like you're saying like this thing is, it, it only, it only happens. You can only be healed through Christ. You can only be transformed through Christ. And so, as I'm pastoring and as I'm having these conversations, even last year with racism and all the riots that are happening and Black Lives Matter movement, which, you know, that's a whole different conversation we can talk about in a yeah. minute if you like. <laughs> um, it's just, I felt like, wow, I have a duty and a responsibility. Mm-hmm. To one, I'm I'm first kingdom culture. That's who I am. <laughs> and, um, and I happen to be African-American. I happen to be black. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. Yeah. You know, Christians... 
they're persecuted also. Mm-hmm. You know, and racism is a form of persecution. Yeah. You know, just no, you know, denying that. Yeah. And Christians are killed, you know, right now. Yep. Um, in the last... In the last century, more Christians were martyred for their faith than the previous 1,900 years. Wow. I did not know that. Yeah. Um, it's not in the news, but literally genocide level uh, persecution of Christians in the Middle East mm-hmm. or in, and in Africa. Um, so, you know, if, any, if anybody should understand, wow. you know, what it, that experience and to generate compassion, it should be within Christianity. Yeah. Because there's no guarantee that any Christian is not going to be persecuted. Mm. In fact, I think it's coming, you know. For sure. <laughs> and so so we need to use the same tools that you use in persecution in the racism side. Yeah. And that's understanding, getting together, uh, getting to know each other more than just stereotypical but you know, on a person-to-person basis. And that's what I love about your message is that you see this not as a um, bondage or as a weight, but as an opportunity. Yeah, absolutely. And so that changes the whole perspective. You know, those rights that we would hold on to, well, I have a right not to be touched or to be violated or to be insulted and so on. Yeah. You know, as we give those up to Christ, you know, he was insulted. He was, he was violated. He was beaten. He, you know, yep. he had a right not to be murdered. Right. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, you know, go to that level. And yet he gave up those rights in order to mm. serve mm. and to fulfill a mission that he was given. So when we hold on to our rights, that gives Satan an opportunity to get in there and create chaos. Yeah. Yeah. But as we give up those rights, turn them over to God, and now look for opportunities to serve and to love others. Mm. You know, we love our enemies. We don't get out there and beat them up. Yeah. You know, that's that's not Christianity. Right. That's directly from the pit. Yeah. So Absolutely. So when we see here that a lot of this is Satan mm. in there creating the chaos that he is you know, destined to do, I guess you'd say. Yeah. You know, he, that's his job. Yeah. And so we just can't give him that ammunition. Mm -hmm. We can't give him those openings. And your perspective of seeing things as opportunities is uh, really just taking away a lot of the tools he has to work with. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, I do believe that. Um, Because I just, I wholeheartedly believe it's, it is our responsibility um, as black people to to teach and to not be afraid of the conversation. I remember last year I sat in one conversation at a church um, that's downtown. And um, this conversation wasn't necessarily with people that were in the congregation, but um, people that worked at a local coffee shop. And um, I was friends with the owner. And uh, he had asked me to come speak to all of his employees. Mm about just racial like recognition and racial reconciliation and just have the uh, have an open conversation and dialogue. So he had about 15 employees and all of them but one were white. I mean they're in Utah. So I, it's like, okay, great. So I sat in there and um they just got to ask me questions. But I remember this one girl, she was very hesitant to ask me 
and I was just and I just asked her I was like is there a reason why you're so hesitant to ask me a question and she's like yes I was like well tell me more about it like this is open space I'm not going to be offended mm-hmm. I'm like literally somebody can call me the n-word I'm not offended because that's not who I am yeah that's not who I am should they not say the n-word absolutely not you should know better not to say that word but at the end of the day it's like that's not who I am so she she began to tell me about her experience and so she told me about a few years ago she was working at this coffee shop and the black girl came in and um just said she said to this black girl after she ordered she ordered her stuff and she's like man i really i really like your hair literally just gave her a compliment Hmm. and this black girl was like why because i'm black and so from there she didn't know what to do so she automatically shut down Hmm. So it was this wall that once she shut down and this wall was automatically built up. And so from that point forward, she's like, I don't know how to approach black people. And it was an emotional wall. You it know, was an emotional wall. Because there's that gut level uh, hit Yeah, that yep. is more than just, you know, intellectual. You know, you punch a guy in the emotions and it, yep. it doesn't go away. Yeah. So... I proceeded to tell her, I was like, wow, like I apologize. I apologize for that girl mm. because for me, I felt like, wow, one, that girl must've been going through something mm. and uh, maybe she went through something and maybe she had a bad experience with a white person. Mm-hmm. And so a wall probably went up for her. And so I just proceeded to pray in my heart for that girl, whoever that was. And then I, and I told, I proceeded to tell this girl, I was like, I want you to know that every black person is not like that girl. Mm. And um, break I want down you, that yep, I want you, I want you to break stereotype. down the law. There might be a lot, you yeah. know, but I'm like, I want you to know that you have the freedom to ask us any question, mm. just as much as I have the freedom to ask you any question. Mm. And so we proceeded with that conversation. And then from that point forward, it was like this weight just lifted mm. off of her because then she felt free as far as like, wow, okay. You know, like I want to learn, you know, and, and there's this talk about like, you know, you, in Utah, and a lot of my friends say, oh, Andrew, you're the token black guy. And I'm like, I'm fine. I'm fine with that. <laughs> I'm fine with being the token black guy. I want to always be this way. You know, I'm fine with that. Like, that doesn't offend me that you mm-hmm. call me that or that doesn't offend me, you know. Or just people say just just random, just random things that I'm just like, okay, well, you didn't mean that. So let's get back to, like, the heart of kind of what you mean, like. Let me let me see kind of what you're let me process what you're saying here in this moment. You know what I mean? And so but in that moment, there was just a lot of conversation, a lot of dialogue that just really opened it up. And I just felt like, wow, there's so much freedom here. Mm -hmm. There's so much like literally this conversation brought so much freedom to each individual, because what the manager was trying to get them to do was how can we get more African-Americans in our culture? How can we get more blacks in our culture? How can we get more Hispanics? How like am I doing something wrong is even a boss? That's hmm. not allowing this type of culture to happen in my house, in my in my coffee shop. And mm-hmm. so it was just this beautiful dialogue and this beautiful moment that I had that we got to share together, which is awesome. Yeah, I, I think that's one thing is so destructive about one of the oh, techniques yeah. that's being used right now, and that's a yeah. microaggression. Yeah. Where, I mean, you just, you don't know where you're going to trip a landmine. Yeah. And you can be totally you know, innocent and in what you say and it it's taken and thrown back at you. Yeah. In an emotional grenade. Right. And it causes people to shut down. Mm-hmm. But what's interesting is one or two percent do that. Yeah. And then they wind up affecting the hundred percent. Yeah. 
you know, the conversation. And yeah. so I love your confidence, you know, that you can have those grenades thrown at you. And, you know, yeah. it's just your identity in Christ kind of makes you bulletproof. Far out seats, yep. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. And you can turn around and love the person. Yep, and I wasn't always like that. I mean, that grew with the stem. <laughs> you know, that grew as I got older. And, you know, as my family walked me through it, my parents walked me through it. Mm-hmm. But, you know, at the end of the day, I'm like, uh, you know, they always said, like, you, you have a kingdom culture now. You've been adopted into a family. Yeah. It's no longer Gentile, Jew, Greek, nor this. It's, no, you're kingdom-minded. And that's what's unique about Christianity. Yeah. Yep. And that's the solutions that the world's looking for, Yeah, but really have no basis to actually implement. Yeah. Well, I hope you've enjoyed this. Uh, as you can see, we're trying to look at things from a Christian perspective, and the cultural things, there's a tendency to run away from them or not talk about them, but we want to open them up and look at them and then see what we can do as Christians to enter into this culture as change agents for the positive you know as um andrew is talking about being used of god so um we hope you come back there's going to be other sessions on other topics but uh, we want to develop a remnant mentality here that as christians we can be used of god if we get our our perspective straight so come back next week uh, we will we have a link down below if you can Click on that and share it and uh, pass it on. So we'll see you next time.